Father God in heaven, that is our prayer this morning. Call us deeper. Call us deeper this morning, Lord, into our love for you, into our commitment to you, and our obedience to you, Lord. Call us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with you, Lord Jesus. By the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, you make yourself known to us through revelation, through the Word. Lord, let it become more and more real. You are truly a good, good Father, and you reveal to yourself to us on a daily basis as we walk with you. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, just as you've ministered to our hearts during this time of worship, please continue to minister to our hearts through the teaching of your word. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, this is it. This is it. A journey we began in August of 2022 with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. We are now coming to the close of the Gospel of Matthew. We have made it through the Gospel of Matthew. We're looking at the final five verses in the Gospel of Matthew. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 28. But I hope you have been blessed by the teaching uh, through the Gospel of Matthew verse by verse. We, see, we, we have seen that the Gospel of Matthew is, uh, there's four Gospels. This Gospel was written with the emphasis of showing that Jesus was Israel's and is Israel's Messiah. It was, it's looking at Jesus from a Jewish perspective and how he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies, all the s- symbols, all the pictures of things in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment. And thankfully, Christianity does not end with his ascension. That is just the beginning. So let's look at the, what we call the Great Commission. Jesus is getting ready to leave earth, and he's going to give the disciples the marching orders for the churches throughout all the ages. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. We're studying verses 16 through 20 with some additional teaching on discipleship. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, as we study this passage and we study discipleship this morning, Father, please open our hearts. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not been discipled or they desire to grow, they desire to go deeper in their relationship with you, I pray by your Holy Spirit you would stir their hearts as we study this subject this morning. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. So the title of my teaching for this final section of the Gospel of Matthew is Go and Make Disciples. Go and Make Disciples. This morning we're looking at the Great Commission and Jesus' command to go and make disciples. And what I want to do is for teaching purposes, expository teaching purposes, I want to break my message down into four parts. I want to show those to you. The four parts of my teaching this morning 
are, first I'm going to teach the, the text, the command to disciple. Then I want to answer the question, what is a disciple? So we clearly know what a disciple is. Then we're going to look at the tragedy of not being discipled. What, what a, a, a life of not being discipled looks like. And then we're going to close with what are the marks of disciples. So y'all ready to dive into discipleship? Let's do it. This is uh, a command by Jesus. This is not optional. You know, if, 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 if you're a Christian and you have not been discipled, you need to be discipled. Uh, if, if you have been discipled, who are you impacting? Who are you discipling? We need to multiply in the kingdom of God because when we multiply, we are obeying Christ's command and the Great Commission. So let's dive into it. The command to disciple, verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Now first off, as I read this text, I love the authenticity of Scripture. It does not try to hide the disciples' weaknesses or their frailties, okay? They, they, they worshipped, verse 17, but some were not 100% sure. You know, it, like, what's going on here? We're, we're not sure about this. But Jesus didn't condemn them. Jesus didn't send them away. It says, it says that they worshipped him, but the, the way the sentence is structured, it says that some of those who worshipped were doubtful. So, there's times where we come into our Christian faith, we're not 100% sure of everything, but we want to be. We want to be. We want to know Christ. So if you don't have it all together, continue to worship Jesus. Continue to come to church. Continue to get into the Word and the Holy Spirit. Not our own reasoning, not our own rationale, but the Holy Spirit will make it clear to us as he does with the disciples. Let's move to verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority. That's just a powerful word there. All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. God the Father has given all authority to this one person, this one man, this one God, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given all authority to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no higher authority in this universe than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the sovereign ruler of the universe. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ controls the rings around Saturn. He controls the orbit of the planets. He controls the universe. He controls planet Earth. And he is the head of the church. The church, the body of Christ, I'm not talking about the religious institution, but the body of Christ, believers in Christ Jesus, we do not answer to the government or any other ruler, okay? We answer to Christ and Christ alone. Now, we should be the perfect law-abiding citizens, okay? We should be the best at obeying the law. We should be the best at supporting our government. We should be the best at supporting our community. But our ultimate allegiance is to, Lord Jesus, is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God the Father has given him all authority. He is our supreme ruler, and we answer to him. Amen? 
And then he says, uh, verse, we move into verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Notice this, the structure of this verse. This is what we call an imperative statement. In other words, there's no need to pray. There's, there's no need to contemplate this. There's no need to think about, well, should we do this? Uh, Jesus says here, it's an imperative statement. He says, go. Go into all the world and make disciples. This is the job of the body of Christ. This is the job of Christians. This is our job. Our job is to help you grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To equip you for maximum service in the kingdom of God. And to prepare you for his return. Our job is to mold men and women into being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is it our job? Because Jesus said so here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, in the first part of the sentence. I've actually broken down verse 19 into three parts. The second part is his, he says, of all nations, all nations. That's very important in the Great Commission. He says to go into all nations. We are to go into all the world and proclaim his message in every tongue. The Lord Jesus Christ is for Africa. He is for America. He is for Europe. He is for South America. He's for the North Pole. He's for the South Pole. He is for all people. Now, our world today is divided up into 195 nations, okay? We, we've broken up the world into 195 different nations. But what we need to understand, family, as believers, as, as the body of Christ, God only sees two nations, or what we would call two people groups, okay? That's the saved and the unsaved. Those in light, serving Jesus, and those in darkness. So when he says go into all the world, that, that could mean going to another country, to, to, to spread the gospel. That could be going into your neighborhood because there's people that are living in light today, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's people that are living under the domain of darkness and sin. And our job as bearers of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is to go and penetrate the darkness. To penetrate the darkness. That's what it means to go into all the nations. To go everywhere we can and preach the gospel and make men and women followers of Christ that's what Jesus is saying here and then he gets into then he says the third part of verse 19 baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and the holy spirit I love this it's just a just brings brings to our mind a beautiful picture of what Christianity is is we we immerse people into union with Christ by preaching the gospel and they get saved then they profess their faith by water baptism. By, 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 by water baptism. The complete submersion in water is a picture of their new identity in Christ. The old man, whoosh, is washed away. And the new identity in Jesus Christ becomes real. And the key word there is, with, with water baptism, is the new identity the new identity that we have in Christ. Have you been water baptized? If you have not been water baptized, just take a connection card out the back of the seat pocket, just put your name, your phone number, and put, just put water baptism, and I'll be contacting you. And we'll set up a day 
We'll set up a service. We'll set up a time for each person to be, to be water baptized. But understand this. Water baptism does not save. It's an ordinance of the church. In other words, we do it as a picture, as a statement to all the people around us that I am in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, that I have found my identity with Christ. Some people want to get into the debate, do we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, or do we just baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus? We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because then you get both. Okay? So it makes it real simple. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But the key thing with water baptism is this. It's you finding your identity in Jesus. Too many people today too many people today, even in the church, find their identity in this life in things other than Jesus. They find their identity in politics, Republican, Democrat. They find their, their identity in ideologies and, 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 and thought processes. Friends, let that not be said of the Christian. We find our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our identity is in him. He is our life. And that's what water baptism is a picture of. Verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I command you. After baptism, after salvation and baptism, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time, it's time to learn. It's time to get into the word. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit uses you studying the text of Scripture to cause you to grow. You've got to have the word so that you can grow. And we have to teach the word and understand what it means to follow Jesus. That's how the Holy Spirit causes us to grow is we get into the inspired word of God and we study it and we love it, man. This is our, our Heavenly Father's manual. This is our, our Heavenly Father's voice. And he teaches us he teaches us his precepts as we read through the pages of Scripture, understand what's taking place, and then apply it. Uh, one of my favorite preachers, he always says, and I, I just follow that thought process, is we, we read it, explain it, apply it. Read it, explain it, apply it. Expository teaching. That's how you learn and grow, is you read it, understand what was being said to the intended audience when it was written, but then bring application. And by doing that, you're obeying, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Uh, Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's forever the same, and so is his word. And then the end of verse 20, our final phrase in the Gospel of Matthew, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise the Lord, family. Jesus is with you. You've been born again. You're a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside. And God is with you. Okay? If you've been born again. Born again implies that the Holy Spirit has come into your life and made you a new creature in Christ. Well, guess what? He don't leave. He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He is with us always and he does not leave. Jesus sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts and he goes before us in life and he is with us everywhere we go. You know, I don't know about you, 
but when I face challenges in life and I face difficulties and I face hardships, um, that anchors my heart. That anchors my heart. When I experience tragedy, when I go through difficult situations, I know I just say, I just bow my head and I say, Lord Jesus, I know that you're with me. I know that you're dwelling inside of me and you're going to go before me and you're going to see me through to the end. That's the promise of the scriptures. So Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. He sends his Holy Spirit. And, you know, it's not Jesus has gone to the Father. In the first century, they had Jesus there with him. But today, we have the third member of the Trinity with us, the Holy Spirit, who goes with us to fulfill the Great Commission. And it's beautiful. And what does he want the church to do? The final command, final words, are a lot of times the most important words. What is he saying in this text? Go and make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a, I got this from Vine's Expository Dictionary, is a learner, a pupil, one who follows teachings. Part of being a follower of Jesus is, and being a disciple is, we follow his teaching. That's what discipleship is for. But what you need to understand is this. I'm I'm going to divide it right now. Discipleship is doctrinal and it is relational. And I'm going to show that to you in the scripture. It's doctrinal, meaning we teach theology, but it's also relational. This outside of scripture. And that relational aspect of discipleship comes through other brothers and sisters in Christ who come alongside you to help you become a better follower of Christ and vice versa. You come along other believers and help them become a better disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that aspect, it is relational. It's doctrinal because we teach doctrine and theology from the Bible. We teach the precepts of Scripture. We teach the whole counsel of God's Word for the whole person. It builds us up. It strengthens us. It fortifies us because it is theonostos. It is breathed out by God. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. You've heard me quote this verse many times. But he says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So the Bible reproves us, corrects us, and it trains us for for righteousness. To reject the Bible is to reject discipleship. To embrace the Bible is to embrace discipleship. It's that simple. Secondly, discipleship is relational. It's relational, meaning we learn from each other. We learn from each other. We learn from our mom, we learn from our dad, we learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We come alongside people and we teach them what it means to follow Christ. We do life together where, as the scripture says, the younger in the faith learn from the older in the faith. And as I was thinking about this week, the Lord led me to this passage. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I found this text, in my opinion, from the pastoral epistles, is a beautiful picture of of discipleship as it relates to it being doctrinal and relational. So I'm going to read through it and I'm going to point out to you 
how even the Apostle Paul makes this point of discipleship being doctrinal and relational. So let's take a look at it. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, period. So the first thing in verse 1, he says, teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. That is doctrinal discipleship. That means the teaching of the Bible, helping people understand what theology is, helping them understand the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, what faith is, what repentance is, the rapture of the church, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, what, it, what it means to serve the Lord in different areas of theology. Uh, what is justification? What is sanctification? What is glorification? Some people say, really? Are you kidding me? I don't want to learn all that. That stuff's important, family. That stuff's so important. To gloss over that or ignore it is not very wise. Justification, it takes place when you get saved. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become born again. Bam! You are justified. You are justified and made complete in a right relationship with Christ. Then sanctification. Sanctification is just a big theological word. It means growing. You're, 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 you're in the process of sanctification this morning. You're growing in grace. You're growing in the word. And then glorification when we get to heaven. But we need to understand the, the, the doctrines of the Bible when it comes to theology because they will help you grow. Continue, verse 2. Verse 2, he's going to get into relational. He's going he's to go back and forth here. Verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Sober-minded. What does sober-minded mean? It means you think clearly. And becoming a disciple of Christ will enable you to think clearly. We need a world where people can think clearly. And you think clearly by becoming a disciple. The second word, uh, and this is the NASB translation, is dignified. What does dignified mean? Dignified means living a life worthy of respect. In other words, people look at you and they say, he's a believer. She's a believer. Because they're living dignified. They're living worthy of respect. Self-controlled in verse 2. Self-control means you're disciplined. You don't, you don't let your sinful nature uh, go roughshod over you and, and, and run you over. But, but you live a disciplined, controlling life. That is relational. That comes through accountability. That comes through relationships with other believers. And then... It's a comma there, verse 2, and he jumps back into doctrine. He says, sound in the faith. Well, the only way you're going to be sound in the faith is if you know what the Bible teaches. Okay? So discipleship is doctrinal in being sound in, in the faith of biblical Christianity. And then there's a comma. Then he's, he flips back into relational. In love and steadfastness. What is love? Love is what we all want to have. It's that compassion. It's that care. It's that I am looking out for your best interest. That comes through relational discipleship as we see other believers uh, living that as an example. And we get to follow them in love. And steadfastness, that word steadfastness at the end of verse 2. What does steadfastness mean? It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite slogans that, that when I tell believers who are, who are wrestling, who are going through difficult times, stay the course. Stay the course. Steadfastness, man. It means, mean I'm buckling down the hatches. I'm, I'm putting on the chin strap, and I'm going to weather the storm, and I'm going to be steadfast, and I'm going to stay the course because God will see me through. Verse 3, 
He goes back and forth between men and women. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, or slaves to much wine. So he says they're reverent behavior. That talks about the life that we live. We should all be reverent in our behavior. We should all have a healthy fear of God in our lives. You know what the fear of God does? It causes you to run from sin. It causes you to think twice before you make a bad decision. Because, because that's, that's what that means. And then it says not slanderers. That talks about our tongue. We talked about this. Uh, Tim taught us Wednesday night on taming the tongue. And the tongue is a fire. And it's, 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 it, it causes things to catch on fire. It's, it's a deadly poison. But we need to control our tongues. And you can learn that gift, exercise that gift by being discipled. Uh, okay, and then she says, or slaves to too much wine. I don't think the scripture is prohibiting having a glass of wine, okay? That's not what's being said here. But she, he says, or slaves too much wine. I think the implication here is what controls you? What controls you? And there's only one thing that should control us in this life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the Holy Spirit. We let nothing control us in this life except Christ and Christ alone. They are to teach, here it goes back into doctrinal, uh, they are to teach what is good. How do we teach what is good? We open up our scriptures. We open up the Bible, and we teach the precepts of scripture. That is doctrinal discipleship. And then he's going to go back to, to relational, verse 4. And so train the young women to love their husbands and their children. That's relational discipleship, friends. That's, that's, that portion of the scripture, that's talking about love in the family. And that's something that we all need in our families is we need love. We need husbands and wives love each other. We love our children, and there's this incredible bond of love he's talking about. And discipleship, Christian discipleship, will teach you men how to love your wives. Wives, it'll teach you how to love and let your husband be the leader of the home. It'll teach the children how to respect and love and obey mom and dad. It comes through discipleship. And then the end of verse 5, and the word that the word of God may not be reviled. goes back to doctrinal. That, that, that we obey the precepts of Scripture, that it teaches us. This, to me, is the heart of discipleship. And then notice verse 6. I like the first word in verse 6. What does he say there? Likewise. When, he uses, when, when Paul uses that word likewise there, what he's saying is, is there's not two separate standards for men and women. There is one standard when he uses that word likewise. Just like the ladies are to live godly lives and be discipled, so should the men. Likewise. In other words, you could apply these principles in this text to both men and to both women. Uh, verse 6 says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. We talked about that earlier, verse 2. Self-control is to, is to be disciplined and, and, and control our emotions, control our life, control our sinful passions. Be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, show yourself in all respects 
to be a model of good works. That show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. I had to meditate on that phrase to think about it, but I just want to read it one more time, a third time. To show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. What's he saying here? Friends and family, through discipleship, you and I can live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. A life that displays his grace. A life that displays his power. A life that displays his beauty by being discipled and growing in our faith. And then he continues, and in your teaching, oh, we're back to doctrinal, in your teaching, show integrity. Don't twist the word of God. Don't malign the word of God. Teach the word of God. Let the word of God stand on its own. It teaches us. It tells us what it says. We don't tell it what it says. It rules over us. And we, and, we, and we display that in our integrity of teaching the scriptures. At Calvary Chapel, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So we talk about difficult subjects. We talk about beautiful subjects. We talk about heaven. We talk about hell. We talk about what does it mean to repent and trust in Christ. We talk about what does it mean to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we explain the whole text of scripture so that people can get everything. And we do it with integrity. And then uh, we're at the end of verse 7. Dignity, oh yeah, at the end of verse 7. And dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. In other words, through discipleship, through growth, you live, you're able to, by the power of the Spirit, live above reproach, is what he is saying here. And, and, and friends, this is discipleship. Do you see the, how the Apostle Paul weaves in and out? It's doctrinal, it's relational, it's doctrinal, it's relational. You, you, you got to have the Bible. you got to have the Word of God, okay? That's the foundation. But you also need a friend. You also need someone who will love you, who will encourage you, who will hold you accountable. You need that person that you can have that private relationship with or, 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 or uh, yeah, a private relationship with that you can share your heart with. And they won't judge you, but they'll put their arm around you and encourage you and, and help you come along. That's what discipleship is. Doctrinal and relational. And our third one, which I'm not going to elaborate on it much, is discipleship is intentional. In other words, you got to put your hands to the plow. you got to say, I want this. you got to say, I, I want this and I need this. And I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look at our life, if we look at where we're standing, where we're at in our spiritual journey and our spiritual faith, you know, we need it. We need it. And if you commit to discipleship, if you commit to growing in your faith, it's not always going to be easy. There, there's going to be times where it's awesome. There's going to be times where it's difficult. But at the end of the day, it's what we all need. And, and, and our walk with Christ so that we can grow in our relationship with him. Discipleship is establishing, this is, oh, I love this. Discipleship is establishing your life in the grace of God and the word of God. Being people of grace, being people that have been changed 
by God's grace and people that love the word of God. Discipleship is a lifelong process. We never stop growing. Pastor David is still being discipled by men he loves and trusts and people around him. He is still growing. We never stop growing. Discipleship is you want more. You want more of God in your life. it's It's a passionate pursuit to please God. It is a passionate pursuit to please God. Now, we have been talking about, we've been pushing this book called Making Disciples. And I'll talk about this at the end of the message a little more. But, but what I want you to understand is this. Discipleship is not always one-on-one in going through a workbook. That's not the only way to be discipled. Discipleship can be accomplished through faithful church attendance where the Bible is opened, studied, and applied. So you are being discipled right now. If your heart is open right now as we're walking through the text of Scripture, you are being discipled. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, let me soak this in. Today, let me understand the principle, I need discipleship. Okay? So it comes through faithful attendance to church where the Bible is open, studied, and prayed. But it also comes through building relationships with other godly believers who will sharpen you and encourage you and hold you accountable. So again, it's doctrinal and it's relational. One of my favorite Bible passages, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. The apostle says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is like the heart of discipleship. That is the heart of discipleship. Look at it closely. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Who is an example that you follow? Who, who in your life is an example? Each person analyze this in your own mind. Who is an example that you follow? What Christian leader, what person that you know serves the Lord that you say, man, not that you want to be like him, but you admire his relationship and you see his steadfastness or her steadfastness or her relationship with Christ. Who is it that you see in this life that follows Christ? Can I suggest one thing? Build a friendship with that person if you don't already have one. Find somebody that you know that loves Christ and that obeys Christ and build a friendship with them. Rub shoulders with them. Build a relationship and let them pour into your life. Let them impact your life. Secondly, looking at 1 Corinthians 11.1, are you an example for others to follow? Are you living a life that People around you say, I want to learn from you. That's where God wants us to be. God wants us to be magnets. God wants us to attract people. He wants us to be the aroma of Christ to this world. And people look at us and say, "Uh, I don't know what you got, but I want it. They see your love. They see your devotion. They see your commitment to holiness and obedience 
and, and being an evangelist, find that person and be that person. That is the heart of discipleship. What happens? What happens when you are not discipled? This is part three of the message. What happens when you are not discipled? Failure to pursue discipleship, uh, you are more easily deceived by the ungodly world. Failure to pursue discipleship leads to compromise on truth. Living in immorality in your walk with Christ becomes a mess. You're like a leaf in the wind. You're tossed to and fro. You're all over the place in your journey of faith. And if you don't shore it up, my friend, you likely will fall away. That's what happens when a person fails to engage and move forward. But God has given us a gift. God has given you a gift to keep you from falling away. God has given you a gift for you to take the next step. Listen to Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. He says, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Here it is, guys. This is what he's given to you. God has blessed you. He's given you a gift. Here's his present to you. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by every wave and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. God has given you and me the body of Christ. He's given us pastors and teachers and evangelists and a church ministry for you to be a part of, for you to be a part of so you can come and grow and build your faith in Christ so that you will not fall away. We need to rub shoulders with each other. Men need to build bonds with men. Ladies need to build bond with ladies, and we need to come alongside each other. Excuse me, my nose is itching. And uh, we need to love and encourage each other. We need to be there for each other through discipleship. Our goal in um, discipleship is not to make your head super big with all this Bible knowledge, but to make your heart mature in the faith. That is our goal. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instructions about washing and laying on of hands in the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. God wants you to grow and be mature in your faith. And I'm telling you, listen to me clearly. There is nothing, there is Nothing more important in this life than your relationship with God. Nothing is more important. You get that right, everything else will just fall into place. You don't get that right, everything else will become a mess. Let's, let's mature, church. What are the marks, in closing, what are the marks of true discipleship? 
I'm just going to list, I listed a whole bunch of them as I was studying this week, what, what I see in Christians, the things that make me say, oh, they're mature, they're solid, they've been discipled. What are the marks of discipleship? Well, first off, the entryway in discipleship is first you've got to be born again. Okay, so that, that happens. You get born again, and then you begin the process of discipleship. But true discipleship is someone who is mature in the faith. We call it growing up, no longer acting like a child in the faith. A, a true mark of discipleship is someone who is not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So you're mature in your faith, and you're not ashamed of the gospel. And it continues. Someone that has been discipled, they know and they love the word of God. They can't wait to open their Bible. They understand God is speaking. And it's, 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 like, it's like drink for their soul as they meditate on the precepts and the words of Scripture. It's the word of God speaking, and they love it. They love it so much. They drink it like water. Uh, a true mark of discipleship is someone who loves Jesus Christ more than anything or anybody. You know, one of the things I, I love about my wife, and I love her and I'm so thankful for her, but one of the many things I love about her is she loves Jesus more than she loves me. And that's how it should be in our life. We should love Christ more than anything, anybody, anyone. He is first. And the more you understand eternity, the more you understand your sin, the more you understand the cross, the more you understand the gospel. It's, it's like a funnel as you grow and mature in your walk of Christ. It makes you love him more and more. It makes you walk in his grace. Um, the next one is someone that is discipled will have a biblical worldview. They will not view the world through ideology. They will not view the world through politics. They will view the word of, they will view the world through the word of God. That is a mark of discipleship. A true mark of discipleship is someone who evangelizes. They want to tell other people, man. They want to share the gospel. They want to share Jesus with other people. They want to invite them to church. They're always talking about Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And they love Jesus and they want to share Jesus with people. That's okay. That's okay. We're heavenly minded people. We love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we love to share him with other people. Uh, so a true mark of discipleship is someone that lives with an eternal perspective. You know, I've, I've thought about this one long and hard. You know, our, our life, man, I, I'm praising the Lord. I'm hoping for 90. I mean, I don't know, 90, 95 would be great. But even a, a 95-year life is just a speck of dust compared to eternity. You know what? I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And I understand, and I hope you do too, that when you leave this life, you're going to be gone for a very long time. Eternity. Eternity. That sobers me. And, 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 and I, what I just said to you, I preach that to myself on a weekly basis. Eternity. Lord, I'm placing you first. I'm placing you first. I'm thankful for my career. I'm thankful for my job. But one day, all that money in my savings account, all my wealth I've accumulated, 
and my house and blah, 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 blah. One day it's going to be pulled out of my cold, dead hands and I will have stepped into eternity. So I want to live for what lasts forever and have an eternal perspective on life. Not to mention to talk about eternity in heaven in the glory of God versus eternity in hell in the lake of fire. I want to go to heaven. I want to live with an eternal perspective. So a true mark of discipleship is someone who understands God is holy and, 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 they, and they, they grow in their hatred of sin. The more they understand their sin, the more they desire for God in their life. You know, is there an area of your life the Bible calls sin and maybe you're having a difficult time shaking it? I know that was for me. When I first got saved, there were areas of my life that were still sinful. Okay, I just couldn't shake it. I was like, Ugh, I can't break free of this habit. I can't break free of this process in my life. Well, friends and family, I stand before you today set free and delivered. Why? Because I was discipled. The, finally, the true mark of discipleship is someone who obeys God. We, 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 we say with Mary, be it unto me according to your word. My friends, friends and family, have you been discipled? Have you been discipled? In closing, I just want to share with you, we are, um, right now, Calvary Chapel Irmo, we have about eight on eight discipling right now. And um, we have about eight people discipling eight other people. Uh, I got about five more people in the queue that, that have come to me and says, hey, I, we want to be discipled. So we're establishing these teams with the Christmas season here upon us in December, um, I'll be contacting those folks, and I'll be, hey, listen, we're going to start this in January. We're going to get past the Christmas season because everybody's fixing to get real, real busy. But if you're here and you want to be discipled, uh, our discipleship ministry is called Making Disciples. It's a 10-week course where you get together with a mature believer for once a week. You, you do your chapter through the week, and then y'all come together, and y'all talk about it and pray about it, and this helps you to grow both ways, doctrinally in the Bible, because there's lots of Bible verses, and relationally. If you are interested or you desire to know more about our discipleship ministry here at Calvary Chapel, if you will just take out the connection card and say, hey, I'm interested in discipleship. And maybe you're here and you want to disciple others. You know, this is for people who need to be discipled, who want to be discipled, but this, this uh, invitation is also for those who are interested in discipling others. If you'll just pull out the connection card, put your name, your phone number, and what you would be, uh, what you feel the Lord leading you to do, I'll be in contact with you. But again, here we are, December 1st. We're going to... Um, we're going to let our current discipleship ministries continue. They'll finish by the end of the year, and then we will start um, new groups starting January 1st. So if you haven't been discipled, we, we, we invite you to um, be a part of Calvary Chapel Irmo's discipleship ministry. Again, that's one aspect of discipleship, meeting with someone, but also understand that coming to church on Sunday mornings is discipleship because we're growing in the Word. Coming to church on Wednesday nights is discipleship. And I believe um, my heart is so committed to this uh, because it's connected to the Great Commission. 
Because I read it in Scripture. And as the pastor, David reads Jesus' words in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Well, Lord, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and make disciples. Please let us know. Don't hesitate to reach out to me through text, emails, or the connection cards and let me know how we can minister to you and help you grow in your faith in our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this uh, morning service. Thank you, Father, for uh, teaching us, showing us the foundation of discipleship. It's the Great Commission. So, Lord, help move in our hearts by your Spirit and help us to decide if we need to be discipled or if we feel called to disciple others. Lord, move mightily by your Holy Spirit in our hearts. We commit this this ministry to you, to your word, and to the Holy Spirit. We love you and praise you. For it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.